If you want to feel like you have a seat at the table, if you want to feel like you're upstream in terms of when decisions are being made, if you want to have influence and impact on your roadmap, if you want to um, have influence and impact in where your company is going, it's imperative that you understand business. This is Design Future Now. I'm Li Shan Huang. In this episode, you'll be hearing a fireside chat with AIGA Executive Director Benny F. Johnson and Twitter Chief Design Officer Dantley Davis, whose voice you heard at the beginning of the show. We recorded their conversation about leadership in design at the AIGA Design Conference in November 2020. Now here's Benny. Welcome to our first AIGA Fireside Chat. It's a conversation with a little bit of a digital spark. This one is really special today. And I'd love to invite you in to an ongoing conversation today with designer, storyteller, technologist, innovator, and leader, Dantley Davis, Chief Design Officer of Twitter. Welcome, Dantley. Thank you, Benny. Happy so, to be here. First, I just have to say this, it seems like we've been planning to have this conversation forever. And we've been having conversations for the last few months. I want everyone to know, I've just been so honored and humbled. Dantley was one of the first people in our design community to reach out to me when I started this job at the beginning of the year. And that's meant a lot, having his voice and his insights and being there for conversations of exciting things and challenging times. It's just been awesome to have Dantley as a colleague to speak out to. So today we're going to have a bit of fun and we're going to explore a couple of topics in our conversation today with Dantley. The first thing I'd love to hear, you know, I've seen Dantley and we've all seen the work that he's done over the years, breaking ground with talent and hard work, hard work and talent. And it's really been kind of superpowers in many ways. So in that sense, I'd like to get a bit of Dantley, your origin story. Tell us how Dantley gets to be here. Well, first of all, Benny, thank you for the, the warm introduction. I'm equally excited to be here chatting with you and congratulating you on, on all your success and, and the work that you're doing with AIGA. It's important work, especially during these times. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone on the internet, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. As it relates to my origin story, I came from uh, humble beginnings. I'm a military brat. I was born in, in Seoul, Korea. My dad was in the service in the Air Force for 24 years, and we traveled um, all over the um, US. And literally every year and a half, we, we moved to a new place. So I was surrounded by many different people of different perspectives and walks of life. And when I was uh, eight years old, my dad got me my first computer. It was a secondhand computer, like literally at a flea market, I think in front of a radio shack. So he got me this computer. He, he got it for me because I would disassemble his um, stereo equipment that he would bring home from uh, his temporary tours in, in other countries. So he'd come back with like the latest um, stereo equipment from Korea or Japan. And then I would disassemble it literally you know, the, right. the circuit board and, and everything was on the floor and I would put it back together. Uh, usually I had most of the screws back in place, but he wanted to redirect my energy to something less destructive of his. So with that computer, I, I learned to code and I learned to program. And then I started hacking computer games, first hacking 
the copy protection of games. And then I started modifying games that taught me to use Photoshop and 3D Studio. I was creating textures and mods. And I, I had a bulletin board for, for those who don't remember what, what the bulletin board is, is basically pre-internet where your, your, your home computer was the network and people would, would call into your phone line, connect to your computer, and then you partition off a portion of your hard drive for folks to interact with your own personal games or download your wares. And so I had this bulletin board where people would download my modifications to games. And that was middle school and high school. And when I got to high school, a teacher of mine saw my, my skills, which for me, it was just a hobby and suggested that I go to art school and be a designer. And I had not even had this conversation before, didn't really even know what it meant to, to be a designer, but that set me down this path of thinking about this work professionally. And um, during that time, I was building websites uh, for DJs in LA. This was in the mid 90s, so pre-dot-com boom. And my work got noticed by some agencies in San Francisco. So they contacted me and flew me up to San Francisco. And I, I got a job at an agency when I was 18 years old, flew back, called my buddies up and told them I was moving from Southern California. They came to help me move. I had rented a U-Haul. I didn't even pack any of my stuff. We literally just <laughs> took my belongings and threw it into a U-Haul, drove up to San Francisco. And, and from there, I, I learned the ropes of what it meant to work in, in tech. And that led me to a bunch of startup opportunities early in my career after I left the agency world, then to PayPal and, and Yahoo, spent some time making video games, and then got to Netflix, went to Facebook, and now I'm at Twitter. As everyone will agree, it's an incredible origin story and journey. Dan, I have this question for you. As you look back from today, who were the heroes and models that you saw in your life as you're going through? Some of the heroes, well, my, my dad was very important in my life. Uh, he raised us, my sisters and I, as a single parent. And being a military um, service member and a product of the civil rights movement, he always made sure that no matter um, how much I advanced in my career, that I was bringing other people along with me. So he was that constant reminder for me. Um, I had people around me like Sky Lee and Steve Johnson who were instrumental uh, in my own development. Uh, Sky is a design leader at Google. Uh, she was my boss at PayPal uh, many, many years ago. And Steve Johnson's my brother from another mother. Uh -huh. uh, he's a personal friend, brother, and uh, he's uh, leading design at Netflix. Um, and we've kept in touch um, throughout my career. He gives me a lot of advice. And then Rochelle King has also been hugely in instrumental for me in terms of my growth. And, and she leads creative production at Netflix. And she was previously the head of design at Spotify. And she saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And she mentored and groomed me and provided me with just space to find my voice. And I, th I think that has been uh, incredibly important for me in terms of how I show up and, and how I talk about some of the issues that we're discussing today. Right. In keeping with this view of perspective and looking back over, you know, your career at this point, 
what are the things that you see that are different for Dantley today from Dantley yesterday? You know, in, in plain language, you call that growth. Like what, how yeah. do you, what are the things that you're calling out now, looking back over your, your journey so far? There's, there's so much. One of the things that is very different from today versus early in my career was I'm not the only brown person in the room anymore. And when I was 18, I was, aside from people in facilities, literally the only brown black person in the building. And that meant uh, that I had to have a persona when I showed up because I didn't want to be judged. My wife, who was my uh, girlfriend back then, would tell me I was a different person when I went to work than I was at home. And I would, you know, project this other form of myself as a way of protecting myself. And today I show up as my full self. I'm not afraid of that judgment, even though it happens. So that's one of the differences. And the other is, you know, I'm a father now. I I have two small kids. And I think about the decisions I'm making today and impact I'm making today and how that will inform the world that they inherit when you know they're my age or when they go into the workforce. And I'm I'm hoping that I can do a small, make a, a small dent to help shift uh, their narrative. So when they do show up as adults, you know, they decide to follow my path in, in terms of design or you know working in in uh, corporate America or, or in business in general, that they don't have to go through some of the same trials and tribulations that I had to when I was coming up. It's so true in, in the conversation. It's one of the things that blew me away when you first reached out to me when the announcement was made that I was coming into this role. It was that connection and having that similar experience of, of having these spaces where you go in and being the only and looking for kind of breaking the door open for a brighter future. Dan Lee and I have been talking early today about our kids in this week. And we were talking about the future and seeing that in the eyes and the embrace and the questions of our kids. I want to share this with you all. So I told Brantley, Brantley I was going to embarrass him a little bit, but I just want to share this kind of true moment that I had a few weeks ago. Danley created a post and it came up in my feed. Wasn't thinking about anything, just popped up in the feed and it stopped me in my tracks. And it was a simple post. When you really think about it, it was a leader celebrating their team. It was a leader talking about talent, a leader talking about hard work, and a leader talking about the impact that that would make. The post was Dantley celebrating in a mosaic format a view of his design leadership team. And the diversity and the richness of it stopped me in my tracks, um, seeing Dantley put that forward and thinking about a, a better and more optimistic future. So I'm going to quote so I don't mess it up, Dantley's own words. We created on our team, what, what we created on our team was by design, incredibly intentional. It took a coordinated effort by motivated hiring managers, a passionate recruitment team, and incentives for doing the work. We are now a magnet for underpresented talent to join our team. That's impact. So, Dantley is seeing this, which is an incredible feat that shouldn't be surprising in our world, but was powerful to see. How did you go through the hard work of building a more inclusive and dynamic design management team in your current role at Twitter? That 
posts had been a vision for me since I joined Twitter. I was looking forward to the day where I could share that mosaic. And when I started the company, our leadership team didn't look like that. Right. And so one of the things I had to do was just work with my team on what relationship building meant in the, independent of the candidates that, you know, the, the, the notion of building talent isn't about just having recruiters bring candidates to you and then filling open roles, but being in the community, understanding the motivations and desires of people and looking for their superpowers and aligning that to the needs and capability that you seek on your team. So that was, that was like step number one, like teach them how to fish. Once we got there, I would, I would say things like, we're building the Avengers here. Yeah. We're not looking for unicorns because they, they don't exist. We're looking for people who bring something unique to the table, a unique perspective, point of view, skill, talent, life experience, because we're building a global product and a product that represents culture. And that changed the dynamic in terms of how we recruit, opened the aperture of who we spoke to, and we became much more intentional about making sure that we were thinking about the diversity, inclusion, and equity that we had on our team in order for us to build products that were inclusive. And we still have a lot of work to do, but I, I wanted to celebrate that milestone. And then we also um, designed in incentives, both positive and negative, to ensure that this happened. So we wrote into our job ladders that our focus on diversity was a requirement for hiring managers. I would um, uh, meet with a team every week and go through basically everyone that they spoke with, their pipeline, with a fine-tuned tune comb and to make sure that represent, representation was, was happening. And you know, once we got to a critical mass in terms of the folks we were speaking to and the people that were reaching out to us, surprisingly to some people, it got, it got a lot easier right. um, because the community was doing a lot of the recruiting for us. You know, I would have people referring designers, researchers, content strategists, who don't work, you know, these people were, didn't work at Twitter, but, you know, they were looking out for folks in their network and sending them our way. So then it became this virtuous cycle. And now we're able to, this, to benefit uh, from that work that we had done over the last year and a half. It says a lot when we think about design and our design community, that we all start off with our avocation the thing that we enjoy and we love, and we make that transition to our vocation. And to your story about people looking to take folks' talent and skill and the things that they love, it's a great endorsement that others in the community were sending talent your way to say, this is going to be a safe, productive, and empowering space, that your talents and your love won't go to waste, that you'll get a chance to be a, a part of that is a, a high measure of, of praise and accomplishment. And the type of positive generative hiring brand you want to put forward and we have, we aspire to as leaders. What I love the second part about your post is you just didn't leave it there as the celebration, kind of the victory lap look back at what you are. What Dantley did, everyone, was he put a challenge out for the rest of us to be better leaders and to ask the question of our team and those around us, what are your leaders doing to increase diversity in the management ranks at your company? 
you know, which lets us going back to this conversation that I'm always having about the future being intentional. And Danley, your work points to that. So putting the question, what conversations are we having um, that other organizations, whether startups, established brands, smaller groups can have those same conversations about how are we increasing diversity in that. So admittedly, as we said, there's some of the levers that you had that are part of a big brand. What would you recommend in terms of advice for those in our design community who are starting their own practices or smaller studios? How can pulling the best, most diverse Avengers talent look for someone who's in a smaller space? I think it starts with culture of your, your team and company. You know, I, to go back to my own personal experience, when I, when I joined Netflix, it was a DVD company. Not many people had heard of it, but I went to that company because of the culture. I went to that company because I felt that what they described as a culture on their website and their, what they call their culture manifesto made me feel like I could be included. My point of view and perspective would be heard and I can be myself. And I think that matters a lot to people independent of the size of the company. And when you're small, obviously you have a lot more control and influence on what your culture is. And once you feel like you have designed a culture that is inclusive, that it is, is open and provides a degree of, of freedom and independence for people, share that everywhere. Right. Um, speak about it, write about it, tell others about it, spread that word. And I suspect that you'll find that a lot of people will, will knock on your door because of the culture. And, and that's, especially if you're small, a differentiator that you'd have over some of the larger companies who might feel like a, not to be over, overly critical, but might feel over, overly homogenous relative to what you're building at your, your own enterprise. You know, I often think about that feeling that I have when you start a new job, a feeling you have when you get a new contract or you're able to do a new project. And so many times it's not designers or professionals who look like us or who are different than what has been historic scene that get a chance to have that feeling. And I wonder what advice you have and what thoughts you have about young designers who are entering the field and, and how special it is to have that that feeling as an everyday part of your work, not as an exception. You know, what advice would you give and how does it feel to be a, a young designer coming in? So that that feeling is a is a, a rush that I often ran towards when I was early in my career to have a, a product launch and even have one person use it and, and provide back with something that that energized me. And and advice I, I give to designers earlier in their early in their career is master your craft. It's incredibly um, obvious to me, but it's not always obvious to folks who are early in their career. Like seek out work that inspires you and practice emulating it. Just perfect it. It's very similar to if you were a musician or you're an athlete. It's, it's that practice, it's that 10,000 hours. And I think that's what ends up separating designers who come from un underrepresented backgrounds and designers who don't in some cases, is that in at least early in my career, people that looked like you and I, Benny, and, and women 
weren't using these tools for design in the same way, maybe when they were when they were in grade school, and maybe they didn't have the same opportunities, or maybe adults in their life didn't think that that's what they should be focused on, so they pushed them to more stereotypical subjects. And so some of our counterparts were just hacking and and doing this work as a hobby, and then they get to college and get into the professional lives, and they have 10 years of experience even before they started the job. And so in, in some cases, I'll just speak to for myself as an example, you end up having to play catch up. And so what I tell designers in their career is to spend that time and, and do that work so that there's never a question of merit. You're always seen as capable and then run to the hardest problems within your company. And, and they might not always be the most glamorous projects, but they're the ones that are going to catch the, the eye and ear of the executives who will sponsor you. And they'll, they'll remember and recognize you for that work. And then you'll get more interesting projects uh, down the road. So those two things, I think, are, are incredibly important for folks who are just starting out in their career. To, to take a pivot off of something you just mentioned in terms of design and executive space, love to hear your thoughts as we think of design emerging as a more strategic advantage. What do you feel about the impact of design on the positive future of business? Moving from our, our silo to being able to be a, a true force with the rest of the business. So I often think of myself as a business person who also designs. And I said earlier that there, there isn't a unicorn, but often the type of unicorn that's described is the designer who also codes. And me coming into the tech industry, I was a designer who did both. I, I coded in, in design. And I saw that that was a easy way for me to get a lot of focus and attention on the technical aspects of building, but not so much in terms of strategy and overall portfolio approach of the products that, that I and my team was working on. So as it pertains to business and, and business acumen, I think it's incredibly important for designers to shine a light on that blind spot and become better business people. If you want to feel like you have a seat at the table, if you want to feel like you're upstream in terms of when decisions are being made, if you want to have influence and impact on your roadmap, if you want to um, have influence and impact in where your company is going, it's imperative that you understand business. And that can happen formally through an MBA, which is the route I took, or it can happen informally through reading and uh, writing and having mentors who are not designers, who are providing you feedback on your own career from the perspective of a business mind. It's really interesting. And we talk about kind of design and business as, as a background in this space. And you're part of a kind of early generation of chief design officer roles. What have you seen from, from your vantage point here in terms of looking into the future? And it's the relatively new role in, in the chief title space, both in your organization and with your peers in tech and consumer spaces. What are you, what are you seeing as a trend? Um, there's a few things I see that will be important for design leaders to consider, some of which is what we're talking about now right. as it pertains to talent planning. So not, not waiting for people to, to come to you proactively 
for rules, but thinking about your recruiting process and as designers designing the recruiting process. Design doesn't stop at the pixels on the screen, as you know. Any design also includes service, and design also includes policies, and design also includes process. So I think it's important for design leaders to think intentionally about how they are bringing on new talent um, and what that process will look like and the incentive models for their management team. So it's one thing that I, I think is important and I don't see enough of, to be honest with you. Another is around ethics. I think it's going to be increasingly important for design leaders and designers to think about the perspective of their products relative to a, a number of issues related to ethics. And we, we see this all the time in, in social media and new digital products where we're making decisions. Often the use cases are all sunshine and puppies. Right. right. I love all the, the happy use cases and, and I live for that. But then there's also the um, downsides and the weaponization of the products that we develop. And being able to identify, test, and validate those uh, circumstances is going to be key, I think, to every design leader's um, toolkit in the future. And then finally, um, thinking about the notion of laws and potential regulation. I look to the automotive industry and how designers of automobiles have to abide by department of transportation laws or laws in their in other countries as they design cars. And how do you then design cars that are attractive, that are desirable by for customers, that are also practical and utilitarian, but also follow the letter of the law. And although our industry isn't regulated yet, we don't know what that will look like in the future. And I think it's important for design leaders to think about laws in their um, own countries and abroad, um, and then understand what the impact their products will have in those markets from a proactive standpoint. One of the first conversations that Dantley and I had, he started talking about this very concept of industry self-regulation and my mouth dropped open because I spent the past five years at the Better Business Bureau and it was the only place that we ever talked about industry self-regulation as a part of a casual conversation. And Dantley and I started having this conversation and I actually hadn't thought about it in the context of design until we started speaking more and seeing all of the relevant overlays when we think about industry and growth of profession. I often tell the team here that we can't be an industry by ourselves, that you integrate and interact with all parts of activity, whether it's for-profit, governmental, charity, and, and these interfaces that come into it that are going to be front and center for design leaders going into the future. So I think it's really kind of a future forward conversation that has real tangible action points. So I'm going to switch a little bit. We've talked about kind of team building and diversity and management and the executive role. You know, a lot of our conversations today have been around a hopeful and optimistic future. So I'm just going to ask you, Dantley, what are you most exciting about, excited about in the design future? There's so much, uh, but I think the thing that, that excites me the most is just the new, the, the early in their career designers that are um, just now starting to get their sea legs. They have so much energy. They're incredibly connected to culture and community and some of the largest issues that face humans on this planet. And they're hungry to make a change and a difference. And I, I'm looking forward to the impact that they'll have. 
And I'm sure that uh, through their leadership and through their evolution um, as designers, they will also bring so many new ideas to help address some of the, the major issues that we're facing in technology. It's really great. We're getting comments on the chat that says, I'm so glad you brought up car designers and automotive space. And if you see over Dantley's shoulder, cars have a special place in Dantley's life. So That's give right. you a couple of minutes to, to tell that story of, of what, what cars mean to you. So um, part of my origin story that I didn't share was I've been involved in some aspects of automobiles since I was a young kid. First with RC cars that I used to build and race when I was a young child. And then uh, when I got to high school, I started to race my own car. And I, one of the ways I funded going my first year of college was I built uh, websites for tuning companies, auto tuning companies in exchange for car parts. And I was winning a bunch of races in Southern California and, and that helped pay for my tuition. But I've always been fascinated with the balance of engineering and, and design with automobiles and all the details and practical util utility um, about cars means that I'm a pretty hardcore petrol head. I also like models and automobiles kind of represent all that for me and also represent freedom. And I race cars as a hobbyist and that is my um, Zen moment is right. the, the wheel of a car on a racetrack, uh, nothing else, no other stresses uh, matter to me in that moment. And that's how I practice my own personal self-care. Awesome. So as we kind of come to the, the end of our time, I do have this question for you. What, what advice would you give for those who are listening today? We have designers and business leaders from all across the globe, which I'm extremely excited about and, and proud to, that we have this conversation. It's such a great platform in there. I loved it to hear from you. I, what advice would you have? What, what moment of encouragement would you give to our design professionals in today's world? I was scanning the uh, comments in, in chat as we were talking and, and one person asked what advice I would have for them as a female designer in an all-male dominated company. And my advice to that person and to everyone else is to speak truth to power. Don't be afraid to use your voice. You are not alone in the values and the change that you seek in your organization. Um, and it's so easy. And, and I understand why we might want to be silent for our, our own employment stability, but know that there are many allies and advocates around you. Um, you can find them on many different platforms. And um, if for some reason you're not able to find support within your organization, seek support outside your organization and bring those perspectives in. I, I think we're just at a place now across the world, especially for issues that relate to diversity, inclusion, and equity, that the gatekeepers need to hear that uh, change is coming and they need to be planning for that. And if they're not ready to do that uh, today, in terms of like leaving their job to make space for other people, they should be actively succession planning and uh, work with them on who the next generation of folks are going to be. So that way you're not alone in your organization. Danley, once again, I cannot thank you enough. I spoke to a friend of mine the other day and I said, you know, we were talking and I said, no organization hires me 
to continue to do the same thing. And your outreach and support as we look to rebuild, re-engage, and strengthen a more contemporary design community has been incredible. Thank you for having us this time to spend early in the morning with me and, and sharing your view on the world and the incredible work that you continue to do. I really appreciate it. And I wanted to give you a final words if there's anything you'd like to say. Thank you, Benny, for giving me this opportunity to speak with the community. Thank you everyone for joining us. I just want you all to wear a mask and stay safe. And we'll leave on that. Be safe and we'll push for a more productive and more creative, positive future. Thank you all for joining us for our fireside chat. Dantley, the best. Thank you. Thank you. Peace, everyone.